Hey, it's Greg Brady. Thanks for checking out the Toronto Today podcast. Start of another week, and we've got a lot of energy to get you through. And a great weather day today. It won't be the rest of the week. Anthony Farnell will explain some of that on the podcast with us. Global News is chief meteorologist. We'll talk about masks. They're coming off in a lot of indoor settings today. I know a lot of people feel different things about it. I respect that. I appreciate that. Completely understand that we're all at different points of the pandemic. We all got different people to look out for. And there's very few people thinking, well, it's over or I'm done. That's a lot of bad faith argument from uh, only a few that are suggesting that if you want choice, you think the pandemic's over. No, nah, no one does. Uh, we're smarter than that. But we'll talk about it with you uh, on the podcast today uh, as well. We'll talk to Dr. Uh, Eric Cam about the supply chain, universities, and this CP rail strike and the potential for some struggle there. And yeah, Charles Pascal, one of my favorites to talk to. Uh, he's got a different perspective on masks and schools and public education. We agree on a lot. We may not agree on this. You'll want to listen. Thanks very much for checking us out. Toronto Today begins now. Let's get to schools, and uh, I, I want to get some audio in on uh, Russia-Ukraine that is very, very valuable, including our own uh, Mercedes Stevenson in a little bit. So here we go. Um, I didn't know how I'd feel when this day came with the mask mandate lifting. It doesn't really impact me. We're wearing masks uh, in the hallways here and coming up from the parking garage at Chorus Key, and, and I think we will for the near future. We'll see how it goes. And that's what we needed to do at this particular point in time was a see how it goes approach. The only thing left appears to me with the people that are adamant, militant, aggressive about masks is to, in essence, there's no data to back them. There's not much in terms of anecdotal evidence to back them. All they can sort of do is blame and shame now at this point. That seems to be all they can do. And Twitter is the place they go. My recommendation to you, stay off it for the next couple of days. Nothing good's going to happen on it. You know how mom or dad used to say nothing happens after X time here or there? And you realize that come university. You're like, yeah, stumbling into the household around 2.32 a.m. Uh, probably, you know, getting home earlier would actually be a bit smarter. But you do what you do because you're learning. There's one side that's bullying people about masks right now. And we know that that seems patently obvious that that is indeed the case. It even started yesterday morning with a doctor in Ottawa. Uh, here's what he wrote. Just like there are bad doctors, there are bad teachers. And if you're a teacher who's not wearing a mask Monday and setting an example for your class, that's you. That's about as low as I thought it would go. This is honestly, honestly, doctors like this person, a couple of his colleagues in Ottawa, as well. Um, first of all, one thing really shocked because the medical community just doesn't seem to operate like other communities do. Even in the media here, sometimes we're in the wrong. Sometimes we are. Sometimes I am. Sometimes other media members are. People who write newspaper, we don't get it right. Not just we don't get facts right. We're on the wrong side of an argument. And sometimes other media members will call us out. I got no problem with that. Don't make it personal. Try not to do the proverbial don't poop where you eat. Okay, have, have a lot of respect for your colleagues, even when you disagree with maybe with an opinion. That's the one thing that makes this station great is you could put Alex Pearson, John Oakley, uh, Alan Carter, Kelly Cotrera, me all in a room, and we're not going to have the same opinions on everything, and you wouldn't want us to. But just like there are bad doctors, there are bad teachers, and if you're a teacher who's not wearing a mask Monday, that's you, that's dealing from the bottom of the deck. 
That's the person who no matter does not want to have a conversation, let's say, about pro-life, pro-choice, but finds the grossest image they can find, you know, blows it up, blows the picture up as big as they can, and they'll go to the biggest intersection they can. That's the kind of bottom of the barrel tactics being utilized by some who suggest everyone should be wearing masks everywhere and seemingly in perpetuity to not just protect others. There's no data that cloth masks do that whatsoever. And um, to make certain that you know how much they care about everything. That's where it's at now. The argument is now moralism and ethics. It isn't based on data. It's not based on your kids and learning loss and seeing other teachers' faces and socialization. The amount of teachers I heard from yesterday, and I'm sure I'll hear from more today, who are documenting they're thrilled that kids will take their masks off. They'll keep theirs on. They want kids to see each other's faces. They want kids not to hide behind the mask because they don't want to put lipstick on or they're worried somebody will think they're not necessarily attractive. Oh, my God. Welcome to high school. You deal with that every single day. And we've shielded a lot of kids from that. It's hard to make friends when you're five, six, seven years old anyway. OK, you don't have as much of a filter and um, and the standard teenage insecurities that you do uh, when you get to high school. This is why John Hughes made movies about high school and not first and second grade. Okay, Pretty in Pink isn't about a six-year-old. It's about Molly Ringwald as a high school senior. Okay, that's not. We're not fully formed yet when we're six, seven years old, and we already know about the learning loss and the uh, disruption to socialization and how sheltered kids are. I had a long DM conversation with a grade seven teacher in the TDS TDSB board yesterday who wavered on masks a fair bit, and this was her money quote to me. I trust my three vaccines. I trust my N95 mask. And if I didn't, I'd care what others did. But this isn't about me. I'm reading right from her words. I hope I see as many of my kids' faces as possible Monday and they see each other's. She's a rock star. That's all we want in an educator. That's all we want somebody to actually say. Not the and, and the responses by some to this vile and despicable tweet that I read out earlier. I'm proud educators will call each other out sometimes. I'm proud sometimes when we do it in the media. We need to be checked. We need checks and balances. You need your boss to say, hey, I'm not sure about that segment or that tactic you took there. I'm not sure this bit's working here. And you're able to say to them, what if we switch this up? We've been doing it this way forever. Let's try this. That's a give and take. That's a discourse. The people blaming and shaming don't want any of that. They don't give you metrics. What, what do we want hospitalizations to be per 100,000 people to get rid of the masks? They don't tell you any of that issue. Or they, they don't tell you any of that either. Here's uh, audio from the Surgeon General of the United States, Dr. Vivek Murthy, okay, talking about science and its evolution. And he's talking about it on Fox News. Oh, Fox News, this and that. Yeah, the Attorney General is trying to reach out to people. He'd like to get more people vaccinated. He'd like to get older people boosted. He wants to break down some barriers here and make us realize that we've got more in common as people than we do as a society drifting apart. And this is very, um, how would I put it, conciliatory about how some of the conversation has gone. This is the Surgeon General of the United States. Number one, science evolves, right? We learn new data 
and that should inform our response. And that's true, you know, with illnesses across the board. But what's also really important, Trace, is that we have the ability to have respectful, thoughtful dialogue with one another. I worry about the, the temperature rising in our dialogue, about people being shut out in terms of their points of view being heard. We need to be able to hear all voices. We need to be able to respect one another. We need to be able to recognize that we may have to shift, you know, our path from time to time based on new data. It doesn't mean that, you know, people were wrong before. It just means that we've got to learn as we go. A lot more conciliatory tone than in the last eight months. Look, I had my feelings about people that wouldn't get vaccinated last summer. I didn't understand it for adults, but you might remember. And if somebody did it before me in the media, I'm all willing to say, well, they did it before me. But I said, you can't mandate this vaccine for kids five to 11 years of age. You can't force parents to get their kids, you know, two, three uh, Pfizer shots. I'd like to think they'll weigh their own risks and there will some there'll be some that will be more vulnerable to a bad covid outcome and they'll act accordingly. But you can't. I don't have my teenagers boosted and I'm not planning on it anytime soon. That doesn't make me anti vaccine. Wanting my kid to go to school for the first time in 24 and a half months and see someone else's face in the classroom is not making me anti mask. I understood the purposes of the mask. It's gotten a little creepy. I'm sorry. I'm all for wearing masks, by the way, if it stops COVID. But cloth masks don't. And remember, they were just fine until they weren't just fine. They did their job until they didn't do their job. When did some of these people blaming and shaming you and me realize that they didn't work quite as effectively? So now the N95s or KN95s are great masks. The vaccines are fantastic elements of protection. Which one are you not confident in if you need everybody else around you to act and react as you do? Okay, there's there's almost a sense of evangelism about the masks that is greatly, greatly concerning. Okay, kids are low risk. They are. Let me double and triple and quadruple down on that. And by the way, they get a finite time to be five years old and then eight years old and then 13 years old. Okay, and when we're talking about social isolation and suicide rates and depression and not socializing and not going on dates and not going on parties and not it's got to stop it's got to stop and you know as well as i do you know friends that live in some of the states in the u.s and some of the countries in europe and those kids are living life way more normally than ontario kids you know that and i know that so what's the issue here here's the other thing it we got to the point where covid was some kind of moral failing if you got it what did you do? Where were you? Who did you spend time around? Wait a minute. Are you unvaccinated? And we judged people so harshly about it. Okay. We absolutely did. Now Omicron came and we just shrug our shoulders. So how did COVID, how was COVID only a moral failing if you got it from an unvaccinated person, if you got it or you were vaccinated? I'd rather you got vaccinated. I'd rather you were vaccinated. I supported the mandates because I think it created consumer confidence and increased uptake and stopped our hospital systems from getting overflowed in the summer. We didn't become Alberta with Delta because we weren't Alberta, aren't Alberta, and we vaccinated a lot more deeply into our society. But I'm never, ever going to sit here in front of a microphone and tell you I'm going to judge you for your medical decisions or assume I know more about your needs than you do. I haven't done that. I won't start now. I think to myself, who do I want to spend time with? Who do I want to have a beer with? Who do I want to be, you know, have things in common with? And to be honest, 
It's not the ones who feel entitled to decide for me or you how we should act, especially with things that aren't proven, especially with things that are more about signal than they are effectiveness. I just won't do it. It's not what I want. And maybe it's not what you want either. Let me play you this really quick going out. One is, and we'll get to Ukraine in a little bit, Michael Osterholm took a lot of chances. He's the director of infectious disease research and policy at the University of Minnesota. He spoke yesterday with Christian Amanpour on PBS about the effectiveness of masks. He got out really early and said, I'm not sure cloth masks do that much. He said this within the first eight months of the pandemic. He was castigated by some of his peers. Tut, tut, judge, judge. This is what he still says now. The science is first, and then we have to understand. Then you can decide what you can and can't do. The bottom line, though, is by telling people uh, that, in fact, just putting a face cloth covering on is going to protect you, it's just simply not true. So when you ask what can you do, if you don't want to put it in 95 on or you feel like you can't, then that's your choice. But the bottom line is putting your face cloth covering on is only going to provide you limited protection. The same is true how you wear it. We've been doing surveys on television screenshots of news media events, looking at how many people are wearing a face cloth covering or a mask or whatever. But then more importantly, where how do they wear it? Yeah, exactly. There's so much there. And by the way, uh, that's from the hard right leaning PBS and the hard right <laughs> uh, libertarian journalist Christian Amanpour. The pendulum swung here. The conversation's gotten different. And we're going to stand firm and we're not going to be blamed and shamed by a bunch of doctors in Ottawa or anywhere else that have no data to base on their moral judgment of us. And when you've lost Teresa Tam and Eileen Davila and and uh, and Vivek Murthy and Anthony Fauci, all 50 states don't have an indoor mask mandate. Now, when you've lost all those people, it's got to be a bitter feeling. It's got to be a lonely feeling. And that's why people are lashing out. Let me shift gears to masks, uh, and I want to get to this clip that uh, Christian Amanpour had on PBS yesterday. This was Michael Osterholm, the director of infectious disease research and policy at the University of Minnesota. Level-headed, knows his stuff. He's not a librarian. He's not just wandering. He's in the hospitals. He sees patients. He does the research. He was talking not just about masks and where we're at, um, but how that there's been some kind of moralization of masks when in reality, all we should be talking about is their practicality. And when it comes to cloth masks, their lack thereof. The science is first. And then we have to understand. Then you can decide what you can and can't do. The bottom line, though, is by telling people uh, that, in fact, just putting a face cloth covering on is going to protect you. It's just simply not true. So when you ask what can you do if you don't want to put it in 95 on or you feel like you can't, then that's your choice. But the bottom line is putting your face cloth covering on is only going to provide you limited protection. The same is true how you wear it. We've been doing surveys on television screenshots of news media events, looking at how many people are wearing a face cloth covering or a mask or whatever. But then more importantly, where how do they wear it? How do they wear it makes the biggest difference. And again, in in rooms where they eat lunch or or sing or have uh, or, or um, end up with, you know, playing phys ed, many kids over the March break into day camps. Masks may be off in those particular day camps. Masks will be off when kids end up going outside again. Here's Dr. Leona Wen. Oh, she rankled people when she described cloth masks as facial decorations. But she said this two weeks earlier and nobody seemed to notice last fall. Cloth masks are not appropriate for this pandemic. It was it's not appropriate for Omicron. It was not appropriate for Delta, Alpha or any of the previous variants either, because we're dealing with something that's airborne. 
Yeah. I know there's a lot of people worried about today. I know there's a lot of people scared and upset, but I do wonder if some have crossed the line from being scared and upset, which people like me willing to listen to. My, my mom might still be scared going into a store. I'm going to go see her on Wednesday. She's 76. She's probably going to double mask it in Canadian Tire and Costco and Walmart until I don't know when. So um, I know there's doctors, you know, the, the Abdu Sharkawi was like, oh, it's people acting like it's Mardi Gras out there. Sending your kid to school without a mask does not mean you're taking this lightly, does not mean you haven't suffered, haven't grieved, haven't been devastated, haven't cried into your pillow at night multiple times about what this has done to family and socialization and uh, and, and learning loss. And I. I don't have it as bad as some people do, okay? My kids have working internet. They each have their own bedroom. We're able to, we've been able to work from home when we've needed to. My wife certainly has. Um, I don't have nine to five hours. I don't work 12 hours a day. I, have, I don't have to do, uh, to work in, an, in a, a workplace where COVID is everywhere. But many parents have had to. And the temerity of some of these doctors to still play the blame and shame game when there's no hard evidence. And when you hear Leona Wen say there's nothing to do, like cloth masks aren't getting anything done, then I guess you'd better try and mandate N95s for everybody. I guess you better do that. Shiva Siddiqui joins me right now. We were talking about both our households earlier. We have a combined six children heading to school today. <laughs> and, I, and I think they all... They all feel different things. I, I talked to my 16-year-old last night, and I was more thinking he'd be he'd have a mask on the first few days. He said, I, I, I want to try going without, see what happens, but I'm, I'm going to have it in my bag as an insurance policy. And I said, I think you're safe. I don't think you have to prove after 24 months you're looking out for anybody. I, this, is, this kid's way more conscientious, by the way, than his brother. His brother we need to do more testing on. The older <laughs> kid is way more conscientious. He cares tremendously about how he's perceived and how people feel about him. Um, and I'm so proud of him for just having an honest conversation with me about it. And I'm sure you've had the same kind of pride with your kids. Absolutely. We have. And my 13-year-old's in the same boat. He's bringing one just in case in his backpack. But And my five-year-old, I've already spoken to him about it, and he's not going to school with the mask. He's, I've just, I, I have a really big problem with kindergarten kids wearing masks yeah. with what they need to learn, you know, what the, the vowels and the sounds and the reading and the writing. Um, so I'm really looking forward to him having, I think, his first normal day of school since the pandemic has started i don't know what the age is um that i'd go well wh where does it rankle you a little bit but it's it's definitely five and it's definitely six maybe it's 12 because so many european yeah, countries mean, went just 12 and over with masks in schools and came out on the other side just as and they closed schools less often and uh and and kids got to see each other's faces more often and you know um relatives in the states and, and all of us that like I can't defend a lot of policy in states like Texas and Florida. I can't. I won't. But um, in other U.S. states, people have lived better, better, more full lives as kids, as teenagers than our kids yes. have here in Ontario the last 14 months. That's indisputable. I have been waiting for this day. And so my two middles are hesitant to take off their mask, which is fine. I'm not pushing them. I'm not pressuring them. You do what's best for you. You do what, what you feel, what you're comfortable with. So they're going to go to school with their masks on. I think they're going to assess the situation, see what their friends are doing, see what their teachers are doing. But here's the thing. I've had the conversation. Everybody has to make a choice and everybody's going to make their own choice. And we're going to respect anybody's choice. So if one of your friends decides to keep their masks on and you don't want to put yours on, that's fine. That's their decision. And, you know, I'm trying to teach them, you know, no bullying and mm -hmm. no, you know, no judgment. You do what's best for you and your friends are going to do what's best for them along with your teachers. But then you see adults, you see medical specialists often who are doing the exact opposite. And I have a big problem with that. So we're trying to teach our kids to live in, you know, to be kind and to be respectful. 
And then you have, you know, doctors, let's say a doctor out of Ottawa. And this is what this was his tweet over the weekend. Just like there are bad doctors, there are bad teachers. And if you're a teacher who's not wearing a mask Monday and setting an example for your class, that's you. This is a, a medical specialist in our country tweeting this out, shaming and blaming. How is that going to help? Like, tell me, Brady, how does that help the situation? It's just gasoline on the fire. That's all really? it is. That's really? all it is. And it's it's moralizing without having data to back it up. Sheba, all I'd want, if you said, I want, if a school board said, I want to wait, if a politician said, I want to wait, tell me the numbers we need to get to when you'd feel safe. Tell yes. me what would be comfortable. We're not eliminating this. We're not going to have zero people in ICUs ever, ever without COVID-19. So tell me what the numbers and the de- and, and and where we need to get to to allow uh, me to not send my kid with a, with a mask on his face for 35 hours a week for his entire high school life and from grade six on through his entire high school life for my younger kid. Just tell me when. That's it. That's it. And shaming and blaming is not going to get us there. We need. To, I I've been saying this since the beginning. We have to come together to find what's what we have in common more than our differences and. Shaming teachers, that just annoys me. It annoys me. And I can't, if I'm teachers, I'm like, you know what? Like, there's a little bit of stay in your own lane here. You know, if I'm an educator, I'm like, you've gotten to do what what you've wanted to do. You've had influence on public policy. You've said when schools should be open or closed. And now all these numbers have dropped. We're in the best place we've been in the pandemic in well over, in, it's certainly since we've been vaccinated. So you give us our time right now. You let us see. We're the ones. I don't see teachers telling medical professionals what to do. I don't see that. But I, sur- I sure see one way traffic going the other way. I sure Absolutely. do see that. And not all of them, not all of the medical no. specialists, but the ones, but these, these, just these ignorant ones who are just bullying. They're frankly, they're bullying. Uh, it's shameful. It's disgusting. Yeah. Well, and you got blocked by the guy. So good. I mean, welcome, welcome to my world. <laughs> yeah, I know. Bring it on. Freedom. I got people I've never interacted with. I've never tweeted at. I've never followed. And sometimes I'm, and then I notice I'm blocked by them. And I'm like, wow, cool. Like we they never, don't like what you have to say. They don't like. They don't never like spoken. That you, you want to bring people together. If only they could meet me, and uh, and then they block <laughs> me. They block me in in real life. I saw this study yesterday from Washington State. Washington State um, almost exclusively goes Democrat with with a governor. Um, Here, they released test scores for kids in school yesterday uh, between 10 and 12 years of age. Um, All students, uh, this is amazing to me, um, all students meeting the threshold for certain subjects for math have gone 50%, met the threshold that they wanted kids to be at, that they thought, let's get all kids at. It was 50% in 2019. Needed some work, right? 2021, that fell to 33%. If you want it broken down by demographic, you get it. Oh, by the way, low income, 33% to 17%. Students with disabilities, 17% to 10%. How about, uh, that's, that's just math. Let's go to English. Um, low income, 44% to 35%. For all students, it's 61 to 52. So when we talk about learning loss, we our schools in Ontario closed way more, way more than Washington states have been. Um, we got some things to pick back up, let alone, right? Deaf, deaf kids, people learning English as a second language. My mom went from teaching kindergarten to ESL 
And um, it's it's an uphill swim constantly. But she loved it and the reward that was there for her when it all got done. Uh, I want to bring on our next guest. Uh, his book, by the way, Leading from the Inside Out, Hard-Earned Lessons from Education, Government, and Baseball. And he also wrote it in the midst of a, uh, of a, of a pandemic, uh, last I checked. Uh, Charles Pascal joins me here. How's that book going, by the way? Are we hardcover, softcover? Do you have an audio book out? I like hearing your voice. Are you on an audio book for it? Uh, that's a good idea. I find you know, the space and the time to do that. I don't have the voice. Uh, I, you know, I, I, I'd have you ghosted. Yeah, you do. Uh, you, you no, you've got a little bit of a Donald Pleasance. Uh, uh, who's who played Patton? George George C. Scott. You got a bit of that George going for you. Well, there you go. There you go. <laughs> you, well, you, you got the doctor looking for Michael Myers in Halloween. You got a lot of that happening. I would I would listen to that book. Well, I've been looking for an agent. I think I found one. Thank you. <laughs> I only take 5%. Most of the agents take uh, take 10%. All right, listen, um, I, I know you got your uh, you got your beefs with the Ford government. You got your beefs with Stephen Lecce. I, I, they're well-earned. Speaking of well-earned, hard-earned lessons from education, you've been there, done that, got the T-shirt, and you wrote the book. Um, but, but masks, um, th- this is where uh, we might divide here, and there's a fork in the road. When would it be okay to give people the choice to go back to school without masks? When would that be? Well, when it's clear that there's another variant coming the week after next. I mean, uh, look, uh, uh, you know, my beef uh, with the people that you've mentioned uh, (laughs) is not with them personally. It's with the fact that uh, we've witnessed two years, uh, more than two years, of what can only be described as a reign of error. Uh, And, you know, you and I love sports and uh, Mm -hmm. both probably into March Madness. But this March, uh, this particular premiere, Every day, there's an example of madness. Now, the mask uh, issue regarding today is, uh, you know, uh, weeks ago, uh, you know, breaking news around the world. The Premier of Ontario has declared that the pandemic is over. And the pandemic is not over. And the wearing of masks, which has become a symbolic uh, vote uh, divider, uh, is being used as, uh, again, a, a political uh, ploy regarding uh, whether it's safe or not to use masks. Look, uh, wearing a mask is is the most unobtrusive thing you can do, the simplest thing you can do to protect yourself and to protect others. Uh, and uh, the, the notion the notion that uh, you know school, school boards uh, can no longer uh, mandate uh, 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 um, mask wearing. Yeah. Uh, that's fine. That's the implement. But Greg, over the next uh, three or four days. Let's look at how many teachers are going to school wearing masks out of solidarity with uh, parents who've uh, basically sent their kids to school with masks. Uh, Let's pay attention uh, to the science. And this uh, uh, Ontario has become uh, an evidence-free zone. Uh, for the last uh, three and a half years, well, I, I think I, I think I think it's an incon- I think it's a minor inconvenience when you and I go to the grocery store. I think it's a minor inconvenience when you and I, if we were to go to a ball game together, and they said keep your mask on for the ball game except when you're eating or drinking. I, I don't think it's I don't think it's a minor inconvenience for 
um, a five or six year old to have it on 35 hours a week for two straight years. I don't think you think that. I, I think there's different stages where it's inconvenient and then there's stages where it's also ineffective. I, I don't I don't think it a, a five or six year old. I don't see science or data. And this is why I think we're getting a lot of people, many are medical professionals, almost playing it like you said it earlier. It's symbolic. I worried it's more symbolic no, than it is practical, no, Charles. No, mo- no, most epidemiologists, most uh, scientists have condemned uh, getting rid of masks in schools. The only person who's come out to, uh, to uh, you know, give the premier a cover for this is the medical officer of health. Well, Eileen, Davila does, we, Eileen Davila doesn't think we should have them now. Uh, well, read between the lines. Don't don't be so quick uh, to understand what uh, her her uh, uh, mandate is oh. regarding ability to to do these things. But look, uh, if if schools uh, if class sizes were smaller, if ventilation was really uh, a priority rather than uh, the last minute kind of uh, a phony uh, exercise on the part of the minister, uh, you know, you go into a place a restaurant right now. Uh, you take off your mask when you're when you're sitting down, and if there's enough uh, distance, uh, then you've got the balance of the use of masks or not, depending on the situation. But the scientists are are you know eighty percent regarding the fact that this uh, removing the mandate is wrong. Well, I, I watched oh, I watched uh, Anthony Fauci yesterday. Uh, they brought him back, and and there's no mask mandate in schools in any of the 50 states a lot of left-leaning states a lot of right-leaning states i can't defend texas i can't defend florida in the early days of the pandemic pre-value you know that but we got 50 states we got a bunch of western european countries that never put a mask on a kid under the age of 12 most of the nordic countries never even considered it i do think there's a line i'm all in on on high school students kids my age they understand it they can process it university students college students can process those things and there might be evidence supporting it. But Teresa Tam is not out saying this is wrong. Eileen DeVille is not out saying this is wrong. Fauci, the Surgeon General of the United States. Like, I, I, I think the script has flipped a little bit. And, I, and then all I need to know from the Andrea Horvath and Stephen Del Ducas is give me demographics. Give me numbers when it would be OK. If we're going to critique, and we should, the province for arbitrary dates. I've been very harsh on them saying, well, what, what, what changes on this day that's different than the day before? Then they have to do the same and give me numbers as to when they think it would be safe. Well, maybe you need to interview the, uh, uh, the minister from Nova Scotia and ask why they've, uh, uh, they've done the opposite, given the same conditions uh, and the same data. Look, uh, you know, we can argue uh, till the cows come home. We'll see what happens. It's a, it's a social experiment that uh, I tend to be very conservative regarding uh, uh, kids and uh, the variant that's uh, coming around the corner uh, and the nature of what can happen regarding uh, what transmits to uh, some and carries mm-hmm. to others who are more vulnerable so we'll see i i, I in this yeah go ahead. no i was just gonna say i got you and and i i uh i think you have a gigantic heart and you're very practical and uh and and you're looking out and i got no no issue with that but i think then i think then we gotta we gotta call it like here's what i want from an education minister here's what i even want from an end from an, uh, an ndp education critic a liberal a, a critic I, I need them to be there for teachers. You know me and teachers. I advocate for teachers, but I need equal advocation for, for students. And I don't think we can say 
I don't think we can say, Charles, that it's a minor inconvenience for a six or seven year old. Not after 18 months and not not. And with cloth masks, like I can't play you enough audio with people saying cloth masks are virtually useless. Omicron made them virtually useless. So then you're going to have to wear an N95. And if parents can stomach that, I'm all for them choosing to do that. Absolutely. If we we go back to your intro where you're talking about data from Washington, if you talk about learning loss, Mm -hmm. if you look at the money taken out of uh, Ontario's education system uh, before the pandemic, uh, during the pandemic, the uh, the shell game played with federal money that the independent uh, budget officer revealed uh, the week before last, where uh, large millions and millions of federal dollars intended for pandemic relief regarding education, all the investments required to uh, deal with learning loss, all the investments uh, required to deal with of those who weren't doing well before the pandemic, this is a government that has shown a disdain for high-quality public education regarding uh, class sizes, the ability to adapt to the individual differences uh, that you pointed out that your mother's uh, career was devoted to. Yeah. Uh, and it has been a devastating uh, reign of error regarding a publicly funded education. Oh, you got it. I, I, yeah, absolutely. absolutely. And, and I, I worry about university funding as well, Charles. I worry about the post-secondary education our kids get. It's such a triumph, right? As you know, when your son or daughter gets accepted to a university and they can take the courses they want, and all you want is for them to be able to get to the finish line. And I worry, obviously, we've had so many disruptions and on-off. There, there's things that any, go- we know, we're in a pandemic. There's things any government can't prevent regarding the pandemic. But, but you you nailed it. Public money and public education. It's um, it's a right. It's an essential service. It's one of the most vital things we can preserve. And we have an important election in June that will document that. Yeah, and indeed. And, uh, you know, again, no matter uh, how we define high quality uh, education, uh, it is uh, the teachers in the classroom and those who support them, those who lead them to get the job done and uh, ask uh, just to randomly select uh, 50 teachers from across Ontario. Uh, you know, let's uh, mm. uh, increase the sample size and let's uh, see how they felt about the on again, off again, confusing, uh, stressful uh, couple years under this particular government. Uh, they're always lagging behind. They're always forced to do things. The premier gets up and he basically says, uh, no, I'm the champion of this. What are you talking about? So let's, you know, uh, la- uh, last week he, he became the, uh, uh, the guru, the North American leader in terms of electric cars. Well, Let's let's look at the uh, the, the behavior. Yeah, we're a little late on that. I agree with you there. I agree with you there. He, he, he canceled the rebate. He removed EV charges. Uh, he canceled green energy projects. And last week, he's the champion of electric cars because there's an election coming up. I think that's a great thing to put on a business card, champion of electric cars. Don't you think? Yeah. <laughs> now, here's the one thing I'd say. Here's the one thing I want to leave you with. Alberta, you, you're not going to get me. I, I, I got hours to talk about what Jason Kenney's got wrong, done wrong. I, I got hours, hours of it. But when they lifted the mask mandate in schools, hospitalizations, ICUs, they all dropped. And I hear people say, well, that's because, as you as you pointed out astutely, a lot of teachers are still wearing the masks. And that's great. I heard from teachers yesterday, Charles, that say, I want to keep wearing it because I want to go see my, you know, I, I've got elderly parents in their 70s and 80s, but I want my kids to see each other's faces. Th- th- those are her- heroes and heroines that are willing to sacrifice something. We should never ask kids to take care of adults. And we've done it for 24 months. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's... Uh... Absolutely. No, no doubt about it. And uh, I hope uh, I hope this all works. I hope everybody stays safe. I hope the numbers of uh, 
of cases are low, and I hope the consequences are are mild. Uh, that's the hope. Uh, but again, I, I this isn't something that's about you know I'm a nonpartisan, uh, a broken down former bureaucrat. For me, <laughs> for for me, it's about the evidence, and I follow, I listen to the scientists, and the scientists are uh, you know well above eighty uh, percent regarding the fact that it's too soon, and uh, we'll see what happens. I just. I'm just uncomfortable. And all of this looks like this is a pre-election uh, pandering that's going on, to, not just with the masks. The masks is just part of it. Yeah, yeah. A- any government's going to, I mean, like Dalton McGinty's going to give some handouts four months before he tries to get reelected. Mike yeah. Harris, you know, you, you lived it during the Mike Harris days. It's just, poli- that's provincial politics. A, bi- a, bi- a billion dollars of revenue on uh, getting rid of tolls uh, for, uh, for toll highways. Yeah. Uh, stickers. Who was complaining about the tolls? If this guy is Mr. Wow. Green Energy and Mr. Electric Car, why is he removing tolls? I mean, it, there's no consistency. Yeah. So I, I, you know, everybody panders before an election. Uh, there's no doubt about it. But what this guy has yeah. done, uh, just just using the the tolls and the car stickers, over a billion dollars of revenue that could be used to deal with all the issues you mentioned, right at the top of the segment regarding what we have to do to have a better uh, publicly funded education system than we did before the pandemic. Yeah, I'll, I'll fight like a maniac the next 20, 30 years I can about about public education. You know, by the way, I haven't renewed my license sticker since 1998, so I wasn't that bothered by it. It's a big problem. It's hard, it's hard to explain to the cops. They're like, you got a 2011 car. What's Anyway, I love our chats. Thank you very much for making the time for me, Charles. I'm such a fan. Thank you again. Yeah, back at you. Take care. Leading from the inside out is his book, Hard-Earned Lessons from Education, Government, and Baseball. I remember the movie Michael Clayton. I think I fell asleep seven straight times in it. I think at seven you abandoned it, but I got to give Super Pump more time. I love the debut episode. And and I finished The Inventor, Out for Blood in Silicon Valley. That is not a Netflix show. That's on Crave, I believe. And our next guest made reference to uh, Elizabeth Holmes, Theranos, uh, the CEO and whatnot in her latest uh, on uh, the website, notinmycolor.com. Uh, she wrote about Elizabeth Holmes there. Um, in in the Under the guise of International Women's Day, Erica Eiffel joins me right now. Have you seen that document? I'm, I'm, I got a million things to talk to you about. Have you seen the documentary? I just watched it on the weekend. What did you just think? I, here's, okay, so I knew a little bit about the story. Uh, I didn't realize what a grifter she was. Like, I didn't realize that she was that much of a grifter. And, like, I love seeing these, like, female grifter sort of, like, shows and movies because of how they use gender. And I thought that was really interesting Mm -hmm. in the Elizabeth Holmes story. Because even one of her professors, remember the Stanford professor who wasn't that too hot about her? She's like, yeah, she didn't want to know anything about medicine. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, yeah. He thought she was just ma- mailing in mailing in her education about it. Yeah, yeah and yeah, basically yeah. was just phoning it in. She was yeah. right. One of the things she said is that, well, she used to, Holmes would surround herself with powerful men. That was her strategy. That's how she avoided detection for so long. That's how she was able to get money without, without releasing an audit, audited financial statement. She aligned herself with powerful men who then um, vouched for her to other powerful men. And that's literally how it works. 
you saw as well, like everything that I saw a headline last week, uh, Erica, about Ellen DeGeneres. And it's like Ellen's giving away lots of money on her show. And I'm like, it's kind of late for that. Like uh, it's uh, she's giving cash to staff as her talk show winds down. I'm like, they just would have asked to be like treated more like human beings two or three years ago when all those accusations were coming up about her. Literally, you could like humanity is a lot cheaper. Yeah, that way. Like treating people like they're people, like they're that, like they have value, like they have dignity, having some integrity. Apparently, that is all off brand now. Apparently, now that's not a thing, but it's still a thing. You know, you can't go wrong when you treat people like humans, humanely, like people. Go figure. I know this is wild. <laughs> Work with me here. Wild. So when you when you hear International Women's Day, I'm asking, do you go, yes, we have to have a day like this? Or do you roll your eyes a little bit and say this is this is just um, this. This is the black square on Instagram. What are you really doing about it? The other three. It really is. It really is the black square on Instagram. And it's the same thing that we're talking about with Black Lives Matter. Right. Corporate comes in and they take over the whole idea of feminism has been co-opted by corporate players who have taken out the whole idea of patriarchy and have said, well, women's feminism is about equality between the sexes. No, it ain't. (laughs) That's not feminism. You know what feminism is? It's fighting the forces of patriarchy that aim to keep that harm women and men. Patriarchy harms men too. And to actually fight against their attendant oppressions, racism, homophobia, Islamophobia, all those are intersectional oppressions. That's what we're talking about. But you look at corporate and you would think feminism is just one big pink party to to lift up women in just such a performative way. It's all just very performative. However, I also do think that if we got rid of International Women's Day, that wouldn't solve anything either. Yeah, I know. Yeah, we, I think we walk these, they're these teeter-totters, and we're not sure whether they're up or down. I, th- I think we have to empower women, put them in the spot, but then th- it doesn't end there. The work really begins at that point. Who are you yeah. empowering? How are you treating people? How are you changing a culture? If you just become, quote-unquote, one of the guys, nothing changes. Yeah. Nothing exactly. changes. How did Elizabeth Holmes treat her staff? That's not... That's not a feminist. How did Sheryl Sandberg treat basic Mm -hmm. young girls on Instagram? You know what I mean? And Facebook. Plus that whole anti-Semitic, like, um, um, George Soros number that they did at Facebook. I wrote about it in in Mm. the piece. And, you know, and that's the thing. You cannot just fight against patriarchy. Patriarchy occurs within sort of like this um, this club of oppressions. You, you reminded me of an interview I saw Robin Wright do, um, and she this is after Kevin Spacey's fired from House of Cards, and so she's promoting the new season where it's only her in, in House of Cards as the new president. But she's basically like, oh, I, I didn't really know him. We just worked together. Like, I, I, don't, I don't know anything about him. 
And I'm like, you're str- you're strong enough and powerful enough. No one's going to believe you. No, it, it, but no. but we need you, not a production assistant, not an intern, male or female, to step up and risk their forty five grand a year, st- you know, starting salary out in California. Right. We need Robin Wright to step up, and we needed people to do that with Matt Lauer. And we needed people we to did. do that with 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 uh, way before, um, you know, Harvey. Like like, there's too many people that benefited from that and, and didn't say anything because because the checks kept rolling in. And I, I didn't exactly. I, I didn't buy anything Robin Wright said. I lo- I hated that I lost respect for her because I liked her. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Oh well, I the the distancing, right? Well, I didn't really know. Yeah, we just Everybody we're just colleagues. Knows. <laughs> Everybody always knows. You always know the call the the office gossip. You always know that. Don't tell me you didn't know. How many PGA players were shocked about Tiger Woods? Zero. Exactly. Zero. Exactly. exactly. I wasn't shocked about Tiger Woods, and I didn't even know the man. I mean, well, I, I got uh, I, I got to talk to you about Maury. Let's do this because you oh, know there's somebody cool. there. There we go. Are like we who gonna, who would you are think? We yeah. Go into digital blackface after this. Oh yeah, hundred percent. We're talking about this because okay. I They're related. I, I didn't related. Okay, the, I, I'm I'm curious to see the tie-in. Eric Eiffel is our guest, by the way, uh, co-host of the Bad and Bitchy podcast, and she writes on NotInMyColor.com. So Maury's wrapping up. There's no way you knew. I remember being on my honeymoon and uh, we were exhausted after like being out on the water, or whatever. We come back and I don't know why. We watched an episode of Maury, and that's 2004. I've been married 17 and a half years, and I'm like, I can't believe, I know I said this to my new beautiful bride. I can't believe this show is still on. So you'll, <laughs> so you'll be shocked to know that I didn't know it was still on and new episodes were being done in 2021. Did you know I that? I didn't know either. I did not know. I didn't know. Some of these, wow. some of these kids that they find out, well, you're, you're, you're the father, you're not the father, they're in college now. I know. I know. Can you imagine having no. that kind of legacy? No. I don't know. I think I think Maury <laughs> Maury should have been Maury. Jeez, oh, where do you start? <laughs> okay. So there is sort of like this um Maury and all those shows are shows that punch down. Period. And they punch down on class. And they punch down on the intersection, especially, like, they especially punch down in a class way, but also with the intersection of gender and race. Sometimes not race, sometimes race, right? And so that's what the whole you're not the father, you are the father paternity test thing left us with, with this legacy of punching down on especially single women, single mothers. And, you know, and especially black women and black motherhood. So um, how this relates to digital blackface. So digital blackface is basically like you're on Twitter or you're and you or you're in group chat, right? And you use a GIF that was um, uh, let's say it's like Nene leaks in uh, real housewives of Atlanta. So he has many gifts. Okay. One of them, it's like, ooh, the thirst is real. <laughs> you know, for when people are thirsty. The amount of times I say that daily is, uh, is yeah. double digits. Yeah. Well, yeah. there's some thirsty people out there. Well, let, let me read you. Can I read you Michael Fulweiler's tweet? I send you the tweet. Sure. and I want, Okay, sure. so this got so much attention. It got like 38,000 likes. People are all over it. This is a white dude uh, who says he's a therapist. Great. Uh, That's a self-fulfilling prophecy. But anyway, friendly reminder, if you're white, there's no reason to use a reaction gif of a black person, a.k.a. digital blackface. 
when there's literally a Shit's Creek gif for everything. So that's him. But people, this blew up. People took different sides. Oh, Is he right? Is he not right? I personally do not. I decided a long time ago that that's not a hill I was going to die on. (laughs) I am not here to police people's gift usage. However, however, what, what the bigger picture and where it's connected to Maury is that there is a caricaturing of blackness. There is a caricature of blackness that people share, that people then project onto black people. And that's the danger, partially. Well, that's one of the dangers, right? Mm-hmm. And that's what happens. And it's, it's, it's the minstrel show of it all, right? And so that's, that would be the sort of quick analysis I could give. But again, it's like, it's like if, you, if, you're, if, you're, if you're singing to a rap song, in your shower and you use the n-word what do i care you know what i mean <laughs> it's none of my business like kind of thing i know i i it, now and that said if i heard my kid use it in a rap song i'd walk in and go you can't that's me yeah, parroting exactly. but i would i would do that exactly exactly and those are the little nuances about not just about race but how we how we are communicating with each other in society and and how difficult that is becoming. And I really do think I was talking to my friend last night and I said, you know, I think this, I think the future is about spaces. I really do think that when we think about content or when we think about politics or when we think about policy, a lot of it is going to depend on spaces, the spaces that you're in, the space, and it's all going to change contacts. And that's the thing. These things are contextual, right? If you're using, if you're talking about Real Housewives of Atlanta, why wouldn't you use like a Nini gift? Yeah. That's just logic. You know what I mean? So again, this is, this is a reason I didn't want to die on this hill. But it's a weird one too, because I, I would never, it would never have occurred to me. And now I think it always will. If I, and I'm yeah. not a big gift person. Now if I use a gift of Barack Obama, or my hero Prince. Yeah, I'm more I'm conscious of it than I was 48 hours ago, but I don't want that, you know, that hamster on the treadmill circling around in my head going, you're only doing it because some dude on Twitter trying to make himself look virtuous told yeah. you not to do it. Yeah. 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 Again, I mean, other people could feel a certain way, but I haven't like from within black quarters i haven't heard a lot of oh my gosh can you can you see those white people using that black gif i've never i haven't heard that conversation you know what i mean like i yeah. don't hear that conversation and i feel like this is another example of white people like almost tripping over themselves and i i'm just like no 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 we want you to listen to us okay <laughs> you listen to us then you can take it yeah, I feel I, I think we you see. I mean? Yeah. And we you know, what's the worst for that? Because and I say this because the Oscars are next week and the Grammys the week after award shows. Oh, Lord. That's all oh. they do. That's, That's all they did. Now. I couldn't stand the last the last Oscars. It was just it was constantly. And I'm like, you don't have to pander to me. And then, by the way, you, you leave me up till 1215 in the morning. You're supposed to give Chadwick Boseman, the late Chadwick Boseman, best actor. Then you screw up and give it to Anthony Hopkins. who has got like four of them already. You mess up. What? what? Oh, see, this is exactly why I don't watch award shows. 
all of this, all of this blah, blah. We need to be one human race. It's like, shut up. Like, you are powerful and you're pretending like you have no power. That is the number one thing I hate about people in power. They will say, Doug Ford does this all the time. Okay? He will say, like, what, what am I supposed to do? You're the premier. There are laws directing you in terms of what you're supposed to do. Like, don't give me that. I know, I know, but it's not, but he ain't, you know, uh, Justin Trudeau took a knee in the summer of 2021. Oh, and, okay, oh, see, there you go. And I could, you know. Justin Trudeau and his performance. Uh, here's, the last, here's the last performance. So, remember we were talking about Travis last week, right? So Travis, then, what did he ask Melanie Jolie and Christian Freeland? Oh, is this a photo op? They're like, how dare you? And what did the liberals release? <laughs> uh, a movie. A document, like a movie, like a Netflix trailer. <laughs> it was really well edited. It had a plot. It had a, it had a beginning, a middle, and an end. They, whoever the videographer, the video editor is, bless you. Top notch, well man. That's no, that's, that's Steven Spielberg, uh, Spike Lee, John Singleton. Uh, you know, uh, everybody, uh, whoever directed No Man Lad last year, it's everybody rolled into one. Everybody. Everybody rolled. It had everything. It had everything. It was, Blah. yeah. Um, I got a blast. We, we, I love, I love our, this is a great conversation today. I'll put it on the podcast later, but, uh, but yeah, I think digital blackface is going to, everyone's going to be talking about this at lunchtime today. I know it. No, I know no, it. No, 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 no. Don't ask your black friends anything. <laughs> okay. That's what I would say. About this or or ever, like where they want to eat or what what CD they're listening to? Anything about digital black? Oh, okay, just that. Don't be like, hey, so what do you think of? Don't do that. (laughs) Okay, that would be. See, now I've given you advice to live long and prosper. That's more. See something, don't say something. We got a new slogan made out of the this uh, segment today. Don't say anything. <laughs> uh, see something, say nothing. Uh, Eric Eiffel, uh, notmycolor.com. Thank you very much. We'll talk next Monday. Bye. I want to get to supply chain issues much, much more with our next guest. He's professor at X University, Dr. Eric Cam. It's great to have you on. Um, any thought to uh, to the mass thing coming in today? Uh, do you do you look forward to a time when you will teach and your kids in next fall, your students next fall will see your face and see your facial expressions when you uh, when you drop some knowledge on them? Not sure anybody's dying to see my face or have knowledge uh, dropped on them. Yeah, yeah, you got to be honest about this. I got a face for radio. I've been told that for years. Um, Yes, of course, everybody's happy to see today come. But I got to tell you, I think what you're saying is true. And I'm very, very worried about this one sided hierarchical mask safetyism that is about to be created. Um, I I think there is going to be bullying and I'm terrified for kids when when they've made the decision. I mean, teenagers or, or parents have made the decision on behalf of younger people to take the masks off and then they get bullied to put the masks back on. And then you're going to have a a bunch of children under the age of 18 going, I really don't know what to do. And I'm being pushed around again. First, I felt like I was pushed to wear a mask. Now I'm being pushed to not wear a mask. And this this is really what I fear, Greg. I think you're right about this one sidedness that you're just going to have a a bunch of people yelling at little kids to throw masks on when they've been told at home to take their mask off. And and this, to be honest with you, Greg, kind of scares me. I mean, I I graduated from high school in 1990. 
Um, and I remember when I was a teenager, Eric, we could talk uh, openly and passionately, not just in high school classes, not just in university classes, about a lot of controversial topics. We could talk about politics, uh, sexuality, racism, abortion. We could talk about all these things. And our opinions varied. They didn't define us. And our thinking got to evolve as we discussed them. And I, I think we were headed sort of in that wrong direction anyway, that we couldn't talk about those endless topics openly and passionately, as I said. And I worry COVID has just slammed the door on a lot of that. It's like, I've said this before. I could agree with you about nine things, but if we disagree about COVID or or this these these you know the signaling of a mask or the idea that they're a they're a symbol and not a tool to get us through a pre-vaccination era, which I believe that they did do, and I masked up like everybody did, then we're in trouble if we can't have those conversations. I think we're way more entrenched today than we've ever been. And not just about COVID, but I notice it in the academy. I know I started university in 1986 and I used to go to hear liberal speakers and conservative speakers and NDP speakers and there were debates. And then you know what happened after the debates? I mean, even if there was like fierce opposition to what the person was saying in the debate, Everybody went to the pub after that's it. and everybody yeah. shared a be- an, adult, an adult beverage and you spoke and you talk and there was dialogue. I don't think there's nearly enough dialogue today, both inside and outside universities, because people get entrenched with this is my idea and I'm right. Ergo, you're wrong and not just you're wrong, but because you're wrong, you make no sense and you really don't deserve a platform. And I don't really know where this started. I, I don't, but I know that the difference between me and university and my daughter in high school is this odd entrenchment of it's right or it's wrong and there's no gray area. And what's worse is even polar opposite sides of the spectrum don't seem to want to talk or respect each other's opinion. And maybe that existed when you and I were younger, but I'm telling you, it wasn't as bad. And there wasn't this level of hatred and vitriol of the other side. You could sit down, you could have a drink, you could, at the end of the day, shake hands and say, all right, let's agree to disagree, because at the end of the day, we're all kind of on the same team here. Now we've got really, really different teams and they really, Greg, don't like each other. Yeah, it's what I it's what I, you know, really hoped could happen um, with the evolution of of the show that we do. And you're a massive part of that. And it's what I hear Roy do on the weekends. And you're a massive part of that is create a show that just doesn't have silos and doesn't have doesn't have tunnel vision on certain issues. You're willing to listen to. To, to people, regardless of their perspective, it can't be hateful. It, it can't be discriminatory outwardly. But you, you know, you, you have a concept of it. And, I, you know, it's funny. I, I want to ask you this, too, before we get to this uh, CP issue. It's a massive, massive issue, obviously, this shutdown of railway operations with the supply chain. But um, but Pierre Polyev kind of made another video last week and he said, ah, there's no left and right in politics and people don't talk about that. I, you know, I know people roll their eyes and say, oh, Pierre, and and sometimes they're right to do that. But the one thing I would point out is we don't have two ways of thinking anymore. I think we have about five. I think liberals are split on a ton of issues. We know conservatives are split on a ton of issues. So I don't think we have just two sides anymore. And I don't even think it's like that in, in the United States. Like I said, there's people that look and say uh, that have voted Democrat their whole life. And they're telling Democratic governors and mayors, look at look at what's happening with Eric Adams in New York City saying, Get your hands off my kids and let me live the life that I want to live. I got vaccinated. I stayed away. It's been 25 months. I have a finite time to be a parent. Leave us alone. And they will vote for whoever gives them that possibility. We've bifurcated and trifurcated 
political parties that have been around for hundreds of years. And that's really one of the reasons why you may not never, but it's going to be more rare going forward, seeing majority governments, because you just don't have that many people pulling in the same direction. And that's really sad news. If you're a dyed in the wool, big L liberal or conservative or new Democrat, that you've got splinters within splinters. And you may never form a, a really strong majority government again. And what that, of course, does is just further um, cloud the issue of people wondering, well, what do these political uh, sides even mean? What do these parties even mean? And again, not to go back to a kinder, gentler day, but in 1986, when I started university and there were the young PCs and the young liberals and the young NDP, you pretty much knew there was overlap, but there were some very specific differences between the thinking and the parties. Yeah. Now you've got to talk, am I a left-wing conservative? Am I a right-wing liberal? Am I a centrist NDP? There's 7,000 different political issues within the issues. And, and frankly, and I say this honestly for everybody to hear, I don't know what the hell I am anymore. There no. was a time when I could have called myself a proud conservative. I was fiscally conservative, socially liberal. And now what do I call myself? I don't know. There isn't one political party that's even close to really representing me. And the closest that I can come to is when people say, well, you're really left when it comes to social issues and really right when it comes to economic issues. What are you? I go, I don't know. I think I'm Canadian. It's so funny you say that because I could probably play like a the, the four weeks of the trucker protests uh, and the convoy in Ottawa, and I could probably play you a 30-second soundbite, and I could get a text message on the show that says, w w why aren't you calling out Trudeau? What's the matter with you? Why, why are you such a, a Trudeau homer? And then I could get another text immediately afterwards saying, why don't you why don't you call out the truckers? They're wrecking people's lives. They're a bunch of, you know, there's the, they're the small fringe minority. And I'm like, I'm doing both those things, man. They got to get out of there. It's been too long. And the prime minister needs to get off his ass and make that happen. Like I'm like you're you can be critical of two things at the same time. We got to walk and chew gum a little bit better. And there's some people that just don't think anyone does that anymore. You better be critical of two things at the same time, yes. because in this society where things are pretty diverse and pretty complex, it's OK to be right and wrong at the same time, depending on the issue. And there is nobody Nobody that's covered in Teflon anymore, as they used to say Reagan was. Everybody's allowed to be wrong and make mistakes. And you call people out. You and I don't always agree. And then I convince you why you're wrong. Mm -hmm. But at some yeah. point, mm -hmm. you meet in the middle and you say it's OK to call somebody wrong. Not everybody's perfect. And the prime minister at some point, maybe in his memoirs or when he builds his library, is going to have to come back and realize that he mm -hmm. and his government, which he's the head, so he has to take um, he has to take responsibility. They've, he's made mistakes and they have made mistakes. I promise you, they've made huge monetary policy mistakes. And he he can flippantly say, I'm too busy to worry about monetary policy. But that was a dumb thing to mm. say. But unfortunately, his policies have kind of shown it. Professor Eric Cam here. I got I got a few minutes to lay this out. Um, the uh, the idea of this CP rail shutdown. Farmers, I hear, I, and I think this is what tugs at the heartstrings. People are worried about getting grain and food to their farm animals. We remember those scenes in Abbotsford with the flooding uh, way out in, in British Columbia where uh, you had, you know, cows and horses. They had to lead through like nine feet of water. That's not this, but, and you mentioned Ronald Reagan. He fired the air traffic controllers and said, no, you, we'll start fresh. You're going back to work or you lose your job. We won't do anything like that. But do you see if this goes on a bunch of days, what's the impact on our supply chain? And does the federal government step in and say, you're both coming to the table and we're going to mediate this because we cannot have a CP rail shutdown for weeks on end here, let alone a week or two. 
Just like Michael Douglas and an American president, you got to bring both sides together. You know, it's actually interesting. You mentioned about supply chain. There's been people studying supply chains for years, but you're not relevant until you're relevant. And now all of a sudden it's sexy to be somebody who understands supply chains. <laughs> I would not call myself an expert, but I'm going to tell you this, whether it's fertilizer, grain, wood, wheat, and of course, feed for farm animals. And that's just off the top of my head. It, it's simple economics, Greg. Anytime you take the supply curve, the amount of goods, and you decrease it, the only thing you are going to do is to raise the price of those goods. And they're talking about ballpark estimates about having to bring in 400% of our present feed for animals and watching the prices of those things skyrocket. And I put that in the same category that I put the carbon tax on April 1st, April Fool's Day, which is, of course, very descriptive. The prime minister is supposed to bring in the carbon tax. Wrong tax, wrong time, bad move. And well, what, that's a 2.2% increase from where it is right now. I don't give a damn if it's a 0.2% increase. You're taxing people to death and people now cannot put gas in their cars to go to work. We're now dealing with real economic problems here. These aren't just abstract problems in textbooks. And that's what's going on with farmers and other mm. people. Everybody is affected by trucking. Everybody's affected by the rails. And if you're going to start at a very fragile time in our economy, we are just bouncing back from COVID. You're going to throw in another choking off of the supply chain. See, this is where, no, we're not going to be the United States and we're not going to drag people kicking and screaming, but you have to. You have to now, if you're a government, this is the time you govern. This is why people elected you. Bring people so, together, get deals done. So I got 15 seconds. Does Seamus O'Regan need to table back to work legislation and do it soon? He absolutely needs to table back to work legislation because there are essential services. People don't want to hear it, but there are teachers, ambulances, doctors and food. These are essential services. People like to eat. Animals like to eat. Governments need to govern. I'm sorry, but sometimes you have to step up and do the things that you were elected to do. Awesome stuff. Dr. Eric Cam, economics professor, X University. Thanks for the time. We'll talk soon. Stay healthy, Greg. Thanks so much for listening to Toronto Today. We'll be back with a live show tomorrow between 5.30 and 9 o'clock on the Radio Player Canada app or go to 640toronto.com.